Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We it's a it's a tradition that on a long weekend we watch more than one Lazy Doctor Who, <laughs> uh, one Doctor Who episode to uh, Lazy Doctor Who. So we've watched episodes four, four and five of Colony in Space with you and me. Yep. Yeah, I, it's still good. Good. I was because there's there's more gunfights in here, and then things have sort of settled down a little bit, and and uh, and everything. So I, I was I was wondering what you would think of these. The the gunfights in this story are much less interminable than like you know I just keep thinking of, um, oh, I'm I'm too tired to be doing a podcast right now because I can't think of of anyway the mind of evil twelve thirty in the afternoon no matter what time we record <laughs> lazy doctor who you are always tired that is just the Pavlovian <laughs> response you have to this it is well you know it's the end of a long weekend and i've had a rough weekend of playing video games and (laughs) and staying up too late i think is is the problem uh but anyway like the gunfight in the mind of evil was just like it just would not end whereas these ones are very brief Mm -hmm. and make sense you know and not that the mind of evil one didn't make sense that obviously did but uh but yeah like they're they're short enough that they really don't bother me they're like you know i'm kind of tapping my foot a little bit just like waiting for them to end still but uh it doesn't take that long um, so it's fine. Well, that's good. Um, one thing that uh, I have been uh, very keen yet slightly haphazard in my dedication to try and keep you from is the surprise appearance of the master in episode four. But I succeeded apparently because you didn't. You were not expecting that. I'm going to blame this also on being tired because I. <laughs> Oh my god. So when the adjudicator is first on screen, all you see is you see him from the back and he's got a, like a high judge type collar and I was thinking, "Oh, this is, you know, this is going to be some sort of a reveal because like the way that they're staging it and framing it is very obvious that it's going to be a reveal." And in my head I'm like, "Oh, it's probably going to be just some 70s actor that I don't recognize because <laughs> I don't know who they are, but the audience would know." It never even occurred to me for a second that it was going to be the master, so I feel very silly, especially since it was the Time Lords in the first place that sent the doctor to go and foil a plan of the masters and I just like you know it helps that we have watched this you know not one episode per week but until today one episode at a time kind of spread out so if i had this would have been like almost a month later um if i had been watching it doctor doctor who style originally uh once a week so you know i I feel like it it works really well because you kind of forget all of that stuff that happened because i was so wrapped up in the rest of the story and the 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 colonists versus the the miners and the poor indigenous people versus the colonists and like just all of that stuff is swirling around and the doctor and joe mixed up in the middle of it i completely forgot that there was the whole time lord angle and the master was gonna show up even though i i also knew that it's season eight so of course the master's gonna show up and none of that like came through because i was just i was so wrapped up in the rest of the story well that's good because uh i I would try not often successfully mind you i would try as you can see the dvd case for colony in space uh is usually been lying face down so you don't see the cover which features roger delgado (laughs) on it and a couple times i completely failed and wandered back oh geez you might have seen that but obviously If you did see it, it didn't register whatsoever. I I didn't even see it. So um, nice job. That was that's a subtle touch over there. I didn't even notice it, which is weird too because we almost always, for whatever reason, when we're setting down a DVD cover, we set it with the cover 
facing up and you i guess haven't been and i didn't notice yeah well i might do the same uh when it comes time to watch earth shock for no <laughs> i will not explain why right now until we get to it uh-huh. very funny yeah uh, well, I, I'm glad you're both uh, you're, you're enjoying this. Um, the mast, I mean, Delgado's great. Uh, Terrence Dixon and Barry Letts were realizing probably what halfway through production, thinking maybe it was a mistake to have the master in every single episode. It was very deliberate to hold his appearance back and his in, indeed his involvement in the show. So uh, I don't know. Are you getting tired of Roger Delgado at this point? I thought that I probably would be, and no, I'm not. Uh, surprisingly enough, uh, because it doesn't. I don't know, like especially holding him back until this point, it doesn't feel like his machinations have not caused the stuff that we have seen happen already. Obviously, he's got some ulterior motive and he wants something to do with the uh, with the city, the ancient city. Mm. Um, but none of like that has nothing like he literally did not come on the scene until now. So as far as I know, like maybe in episode five and or maybe in episode six, we'll discover that he was actually screwing with the crops or something like that. And that wasn't IMC, but it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, he's He's got his own plans. So like you've got three solid episodes of a story that's really good and really interesting and doesn't have anything to do with the master at all. And, you know, that's I feel like that's helpful in terms of like it's not always the doctor trying to foil the master's plans we've got something completely separate going on here which is really really good it is good yeah it's nice when when different storylines sort of dovetail a little bit well this this whole thing is just a a ruse in a way and the real uh, heat the heart of the matter is probably something else which we don't even really get to know yet at the end of episode five it's still kind of a mystery Mm -hmm. yep yeah, I'm like I have kind of mixed feelings about the the just the idea of the primitives and the way that they're treated by the colonists. That's, you know, kind of icky. And then I'm the fallen civilization trope is one that I'm always kind of fascinated by in science fiction. That's another sort of golden age science fiction trope that comes up a lot where, you know, you have a a civilization that rose to great power and then uh and then fell and the people who are left are simpler and you know so like i really really cringed when the doctor was using the coin to distract the guard and like you know i mean now we've sort of got this implication that maybe they are actually simpler people they perhaps are a mutation from some other race and they you know maybe they're not all that bright although they can also read minds mm-hmm. and also help uh, that poor guy who I liked so much fix the fix the generator. And yeah. so, I mean, there's there's a lot of different stuff going on and some of it kind of makes me feel a little bit icky and some of it is kind of fascinating. Some of it's kind of fascinating in a little bit of an icky way. Um, so there's there's a lot and I feel like it's going to take me a while after watching this whole story after, until, until I get to the end of it to really have it all settle together because I suspect we're going to be getting more information about the history of the of the indigenous population on this planet uh, in episode six when the doctor and the master i assume get into the city oh speaking of the city i loved it uh (laughs) good (laughs) yeah it looked it looked awesome like the the whatever they did to the the corridors to make them look like you know weird like rocks and stuff Mm -hmm. and like kind of shiny that was that was neat the random bits of technology that are scattered everywhere you recognized a prop i know 
Okay, so yeah, I re- not only did I recognize a prop that was um, from, I know I've been seeing that hair on the end of the, no, this one actually on the end of the microphone the whole time. We gotta clean our it's, I know, I vacuumed the house, but I keep forgetting about the microphone. Um, uh, <laughs> the There's a prop in the corner on in the main set where the Joe and the Joe and doctor <laughs> get put in and I recognize oh that cylindrical prop I recognize that from the TARDIS in like the web planet or something and then I realized actually it might have been in the web planet it also was the same prop that was in episode one in the TARDIS of this very story <laughs> so they just like oh let's just put that thing there there we go that's done uh, I also I've noticed that I keep forgetting to point out is that one of the colonists uh, is wearing a spacesuit, which one of the ambassadors of Death wore the season previous. So never, never one to not recycle props is uh, is the BBC. Mm-hmm. There. That's funny. Uh, one thing that I did not like so much about the set design right. was in that room where Joe was being, where the Joe, the <laughs> Joe. was being whole, held prisoner. Um, so we get that kind of interesting shot of uh, where the camera pans across all these different pictures. Um, of the history mm-hmm. of this race yes. and like okay so first of all my brain is going okay so why do they only like draw one picture on this piece of glass once every 500 years or something because then the style changes it's not like somebody actually decided to chronicle the history of these people they the doctor makes it clear that this one has added later and is a different style so why are there only those pictures and why just like that do they have a ceremony like once every 500 years and add one picture to their history Maybe. i don't know that's my head cannon. anyway that part is kind of fine but it was very clear that those were all like i don't know decals or something like that because from the side <laughs> that you see the the doctor and joe like if you're if it's a shooting the doctor and joe you see like sort of the the little glass wall off kind of behind them and all of the pictures and everything are white you're looking at the back of the decals that are stuck on the glass and then when the camera looks at it from the other side it's all colored in Mm. but it's only colored in from one side so it just looks it's kind of like oh that's unfortunate i never noticed that before but yeah it it is painted for the for the viewer's eyes Mm -hmm. as opposed to the people who are actually on set looking at it. So, like, there's no way that Joe and the Doctor, I think, probably would have even recognized that that one was uh, a sacrifice of some sort mm-hmm. from their angle because I think it was just a big panel of white. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Oops. very good point. I have never... Well done. <laughs> well done on pointing out something that I had never noticed before. Congratulations for ruining part of an episode that you liked. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's 1971. Right. You're going to find little things like this in a multi-camera studio sure. universe. So I I appreciate it more than anything. I appreciate it. it. It really reminds me of back in the 1960s where they sort of had the idea that if it's not on camera, then the characters on the screen can't see it either. So they can be surprised by somebody who's right next to them. Yeah. This is exactly the same kind of thing. As you pointed out in, uh, I think it was The Mind of Evil, where uh, I think what Chin Lee is hiding behind <laughs> a tent... That the viewer can't see, but Benton clearly could. Uh, as but it's for our benefit that we see that she's hiding. Yeah, they hadn't quite worked out all the the bugs of, of figuring out how to, to do television. I guess at the time, which yeah. is kind of funny. Um, but uh, other than like that tiny little nitpick, I I enjoyed and was had somewhat conflicting feelings about the uh, the the city and the races and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah. Fascinating stuff. It's very, very kind of old school science fiction-y stuff that probably if I had seen this story when I was a kid, I really, really would have liked it. Yeah. Well, I liked it too. I I, I especially like that you don't see it very often, but there's sort of a one cutaway shot where in behind two bits of rock, you can see 
a photo of uh, like a big electronic or some like sort of power plant or something that was probably like dated back to when their civilization was grand and such. And they sort of had that as a backdrop. I thought it, it, it increased a bit of scope to the whole city as well. It wasn't just sort of rock corridors. There was like uh, an, an echo of their previous um, uh, technological past. Cool. I didn't. I didn't actually notice that. So you may see it in the next episode. I don't know for sure. <laughs> I will. I will keep my eyes out for it. Yeah. Um. Uh, so we see the inside of the Master's TARDIS as well, because mm-hmm. it's in under in disguise, of course, as, as they do to get a spaceship. I love that the Master has filing cabinets, <laughs> not just in the TARDIS, but in the control room. Yeah. He needs to have like all of his notes on all of the different planets he's gone to survey. Like my headcanon is he doesn't always have those there, but he's in the middle of this really big project right now. And so he needs to keep it all there. And yeah, sure. He could have it all like on electronic, you know, computers or data disks or something, but no, he's old school. He likes to take his own handwritten notes. He likes to have folders with information in them. And I just, I really respect that about the Master. You you feel like when I saw all those filing cabinets, thinking, did he have to wheel those in himself? I just feel like the master should be like putting a job posting out or something for like a personal assistant. If anyone needs an assistant, it's the master. I you're right, but no, I I love the thought of him with like a dolly and uh, or a handcart, yeah. just you know, tootling them out himself. He the master absolutely is the kind of character like he gets his hands dirty. He will you know hang in for a long period of time to build his credentials he will like he would absolutely go into this you know storage room in the bowels of his TARDIS and you know just tootle out the uh tootle out these uh these filing cabinets and put them exactly where he wants them in the uh in the control room so that he has easy access at any point I'm surprised there's not like a little writing desk or something in there that he where he can or maybe I just didn't see it but like where he can sit down and take his notes and stuff after he's surveyed a planet and got some information I would like like just a uh you know a day in the life of the master you know because we all see the dastardly plans as they are about to come to fruition we don't get to see the paperwork side of things the research and stuff the montage of him looking through filing cabinets and you know wearing this one little accountant brim things on a desk with a little light on it and stuff looking through things you know we need to see that more and what i really appreciate appreciate about this is that this has nothing to do with the doctor this was not one of the master's plans oh please notice me please notice me doctor he was just he's working at well as far as i know who knows what episode six is um but as far as we know at this point this is a plan that the master had that he's been working on that the time lords don't want him to do um and the doctor only gets thrown into this because the time lords are keeping keeping an eye on the master and decide that you know something needs to be done but of course the time lords aren't going to get off their you know be robed butts mm-hmm. to do anything about it nope. so they're they're sending in the doctor thank goodness they are because this is a fun story um but yeah i like i like that this is just the master going about his business this is what he does when he's not you know stuck on earth and and playing cat and mouse with the doctor mm-hmm. again as far as i know at this point right it's it's like the doctor only comes into it by chance because he went to the city to to negotiate joe's mm-hmm. release and it's, you know, Ash mentions the city before he mentions, oh, the doctor went to the city. So, like, the doctor and the master perks up and go, oh, really? So, the city, tell me more about the city and how you get in there. I wonder how we get in there. Well, the doctor's been there. Oh, 
interesting. Like only then does like, oh, I could actually use the doctor for this. How quaint. And it could, that could have like been, you know, the doctor and Joe because Joe is just, oh my God. I don't, she's a little inconsistently written in terms of when she's sharp and when she's not. Like sometimes she's super sharp and sometimes she's very, very ditzy, which I guess, you know, I, I guess I know some people who are kind of like that. So fair. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so she just blunders back at it. Like you'd think you'd remember wriggling on the ground yeah. just 15 minutes ago, but no. Um, so she blunders into that and the doctor and Joe both get knocked out by the, the, the sleeping gas. Like if Ash hadn't mentioned the fact that the doctor had been to the city, if the master never found that out, he could have just gone back to the TARDIS and just been like, okay, I'm in the middle of this plan that has nothing to do with either of these people. So I'm just going to put them out of their misery. He could have just shot them both. And like, that would have been the end of the doctor. But because Ash happened to have mentioned that the doctor's been to the city and nobody else has, suddenly the master has a need to, you know, wake the doctor up and use Joe and those amazing, like, tube jails <laughs> to uh to help further his his plans i don't i don't know what they are they're isolation booths yeah that's uh that perhaps the members of spinal tap were in at the beginning of rock and roll creation and this is spinal tap um that's a lie um so so what what i'm gathering from this is that you're actually justifying the ludicrous and sudden cliffhanger of episode four where the doctor or the master feels like i'm just gonna shoot joe and the doctor right here and then not shoot them at all uh, at the start of episode five um well no i mean that was like he he was going to shoot them and the only reason he didn't is because it would blow his cover as the adjudicator right so he stopped which you know that's that's fine mm-hmm. but the fact that he was so ready to off them makes me think that you know once they had gotten into his tardis he totally would have gone back there and just killed them then if there was no reason for uh, the doctor right. to be useful, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the cliffhanger is not well looked upon. It just, it just because it's like, oh, what? I thought he's going to shoot them, and then he doesn't. Because yes, Ash sort of walks in and says, oh, oh, I guess that's my cover blown. I, I don't. I don't see how that's any worse than most cliffhangers in Doctor Who history. Like the the master wants to get them out of the way. The doctor, yeah, he was not believed when he, you know, called into question the the master's actual, you know, identity, but that he knows the doctor. He knows that the doctor is probably eventually going to get the upper hand if he doesn't take him out right away. So I have no problem believing that the master was going to shoot the doctor and Joe. And, you know, it was a very master masterish thing to say, like, you know, some stray bullets are just going to catch you. And I'm so sorry. Like that perfectly fits. And it also perfectly fits that when somebody else comes in, he quick hides the gun Mm -hmm. because he still needs to keep his cover as the adjudicator because whatever he wants on this planet, he has not gotten yet. That's true. So, Settle down, Doctor Who fandom. Jeez. <laughs> uh, one thing I have noticed, and for some reason it never dawned on me until like episode three or four, is that the the traditional, quote unquote, um, you know, cast of Doctor Who is basically the Doctor and like one female companion. Mm-hmm. And this story is the first time we ever get that. Because we, it's unit for the most part up until now, and it's it's been like you know multiple companions in the Troughton era. There was like you know Evil of the Daleks has the Doctor and Jamie mm-hmm. through most of it just alone, with Victoria being there, but she doesn't become companion until at the end of the story. But this is like the prototype right here, basically, of what we get for modern Doctor Who, certainly, and certainly for the bulk of Tom Baker's era and the last part of the the classic run, right here, Colony in Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting how people just 
think about the doctor and a companion. And even in New Who, that's not really what we get for a lot of it. I mean, you know, you can point to the main companion, but even in, you know, the ninth doctor, you've got Captain Jack and you've got Mickey and like there's a lot more happening there. The Matt Smith era is everybody points to Amy, but yeah, Rory is it's like just almost as important uh, right. a part of that that grouping. Um yeah, and then and then once you go on beyond that, you end up with like you know, yeah, it's the Doctor and Clara, but also she's still living her life on Earth, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's the Doctor and Bill, but you've also got Nardole. Like people yeah. sort of tend to forget about that. So it's 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 a much more crowded TARDIS than the media tends to make it out to be. So, but you're right. This is this is sort of where it started. So I guess we can blame <laughs> blame this era for that. Definitely, yep. Yeah, the John Pertwee era is the first, the first real one Doctor, one companion mm-hmm. sort of time. Yeah, traveling around the universe. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. in strange colony planets. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that I wanted to mention about this? I can't remember if, if there was to Captain Dent. I like Captain Dent still. Uh, I'm a big fan of Captain Dent. I love, I love how like how honest he is. He's never really um, deceitful. You know when when uh, you know when Winton sort of like straps dynamite to the bottom of their mm-hmm. ship and stuff and and uh, um, and says okay you know just in case you want to like just hang around we've strapped some explosives to your ship and I just love the the admission that goes what a resourceful young man and then you know Morgan says you don't he's bluffing you don't believe him surely and Dent sort of turns it doesn't change his expression at all <laughs> he just sort of looks at him it just you realize that because Morris Perry does such a great subtle performance that he's. Uh, uh, yeah, I totally believe him, <laughs> and I believe him that he believes him. They, uh, Winton didn't strap dynamite to the bottom of the ship. They piled it up underneath the ship. Or underneath, you which know what I mean, yeah. makes me wonder, how is the ship supposed to take off? Doesn't it, like, use some sort of flame for ignition? Is it not going to just, like, ignite? Like, you put dynamite under a ship that needs to take sure. off. How does that work? Never mind. I'm not even going to think yeah. about it because uh, too much, too much. Oh, we did get to see the, 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 the adjudicator's ship swooping in that was a cool uh a cool shot it was a model Mm -hmm. yep that's what i said while it was on and you said no that's not a model i don't know what you're talking about it's a real spaceship whatever real proper spaceship but you know model model work was Mm -hmm. probably not yeah we've we've been watching doctor who now for for the eight seasons that it's been on and you have to think like wow like actual model ships landing in doctor who is a thing we have not seen very much of doesn't happen very often. I mean, we don't get to see it in the Daleks Master Plan because it doesn't exist anymore. But I yeah. would like—I would like to compare. Well, we, actually, no, we did the the model footage of the Spar ship oh, landing in Episode One. Does actually exist on thirty-five millimeter film, supreme pristine quality. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking that for some reason that that was something that they had done for a recon, but no, no. right, that was that was right. So there, you know, we get to see it occasionally, but not yeah. not very often. And then later to find out that it was actually a TARDIS that the TARDIS had yeah. to like fly in all fancy mm. in order to keep the cover going is that's that's fun yeah or maybe the master just likes flying the tardis sometimes why not i mean uh, certainly it seems like it would be fun mm-hmm. i agree though dent is is great and i like that we still like through both of those episodes have gotten the push and pull between ash and winton and you know ash wanting to do everything legally mm-hmm. and by the book and winton wanting to to do everything you know just like the the legal way is not getting us anywhere so we need to take matters into our own hands and at least so far like it doesn't seem like the story really comes down hard on one side or the other as being the right way to do it because ash clearly was going to fail and winton actually would have succeeded if he wouldn't have been 
foolish at the end there because you know everybody needs to go back to the colony so that the adjudicator can adjudicate why is he untying them why not bring them over in handcuffs and say we have arrested you know citizens Mm. arrest because they were taking people hostage and trying to blow them up and and that sort of thing but no he decides that he's just going to uncuff all of them and Mm. then you know go for morgan's bluff which i i believed morgan because i figured you know all bullies are are cowards at heart so i thought he was just turning on uh on his boss but he wasn't no morgan's bluff sounds like a location on red dead redemption <laughs> it totally does uh so so i mean it's, it's interesting that really you know winton's methods could have been the ones that worked but it still would have looked really bad to the adjudicator um quite quite probably if we had an actual real adjudicator it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have looked great that they were uh attacking the spaceship and, and taking people prisoner and stuff like that so mm-hmm. um, but he got the proof which then got destroyed because he was foolish so there's a there's a lot of back and forth which which i like it doesn't feel like a runaround it feels like the plot is moving forward as we are swinging back and forth between the different situations little malcolm hulk makes the shades of gray you know ash's uh, approach is good but with flaws so is mm-hmm. winton's i also like that winton still has respect for ash you know like he wants to take the guns but ash says no and winton okay you know walks away and this is there should be a better way you know you should do this a different way and then winton doesn't just sort of no i'm tired of you he just sort of says i'm sorry robert and mm-hmm. walks away like you know there's still that reverential treatment to them i like that mm-hmm. yep yep there's a lot of good stuff in here yeah, Colony in Space continues to be underrated. Here, here, or just, you know, forgotten. Mostly forgotten, I think. But not by us, which is good. Um, we have one more episode to go of this uh, this iconic Third Doctor story. I don't think it's iconic. You just said it was forgotten. I know, well, we just raised it to the level of oh, iconic. Okay, okay. So Sure, thanks, BBC. You betcha. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else? Uh, no, no, I'm good for now. Okay, goodbye. 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 <laughs>